Hello and welcome to this podcast edition of Scripps 5 Must Know Things, this time for the Business Week ended 19th March 2021. This is Ian Haydock. This week, new results for Lilly in Alzheimer's, a US delay for AbbVie, progress for Zolgensma in the UK, challenges for AstraZeneca's coronavirus vaccine, and a script roundtable on lessons from the pandemic. Eli Lilly is no stranger to the risky business of Alzheimer's disease drug development, which may be why it's willing to place a high-risk bet on its newest amyloid clearing therapy, Donanimab, based on mixed results in the Phase two Trailblazer ALZ clinical trial. The company is converting its ongoing Phase two b Trailblazer ALZ2 trial into a Phase three study, upping the number of patients and changing the endpoint to make its wager on the drug a safer bet. Lilly presented detailed results from Trailblazer ALZ during the International Conference on Alzheimer's and Parkinson's Diseases, and the data simultaneously were published in the New England Journal of Medicine on 13th March. During a call on 15th March to discuss the results and plans for Denanimab going forward, executives noted the important role of TAU, both TAU levels at the baseline in trial participants and reduction in TAU in certain areas of the brain, in proving that amyloid clearance plays an important role in slowing Alzheimer's progression. Mandy Daxon writes that Trailblazer ALZ enrolled 272 patients with early symptomatic Alzheimer's based on cognitive assessments, the presence of amyloid plaque as confirmed by imaging, and intermediate levels of tau protein based on PET imaging. Patients were treated with intravenous doses of denanumab or placebo every four weeks, and the drug was administered at 700 milligrams for the first three doses and at 1,400 milligrams thereafter, but dosing was switched to placebo if patients achieved amyloid negativity. The data show that the antibody slowed cognitive and functional decline by a statistically significant 32% compared to placebo at 76 weeks, as measured by the primary endpoint, which was the Integrated Alzheimer's Disease Rating Scale. However, denanimab did not show statistically significant separations from placebo on most of the secondary endpoints that also measure cognition and function. Lilly noted that denanimab consistently slowed cognitive and functional decline across all of the secondary endpoints, with the drug reaching statistical significance at various time points during Trailblazer ALZ, although not at the final 76-week assessment. This is as close to a home run as we can hope for, for a phase two study of this size. John Sims, who's senior medical director for neurodegeneration at Lilly, told Scrip. Sims noted that tau reductions, even more than the statistically significant reductions in amyloid in the brains of the denanumab-treated patients, represent a first for a study of an amyloid-clearing agent, given the association of tau reductions in Trailblazer ALZ2 with reduced declines in cognition and function as measured by IADRS. Mandy also writes that the US FDA has pushed the decision date on a second indication for AbbVie's RINVOC out three months too late in the second quarter of 2021 to review additional safety data for the JAK1 inhibitor, the company said on 17th March. The delay and new scrutiny put future revenue potential at risk for a drug AbbVie is relying on to help offset Humira sales declines. 
AbbVie executives emphasised during the company's fourth quarter earnings call in early February that new safety concerns for Pfizer's market-leading JAK inhibitor Zelljans were not likely to extend to Rinvoc, which was approved in the US for rheumatoid arthritis in 2019. Therefore, the new disclosure that AbbVie received an information request from the FDA for an updated assessment of the benefit-risk profile in psoriatic arthritis came as a surprise to investors. The FDA extended the review of AbbVie's supplemental NDA by three months to review the data the company submitted in response to the agency's information request. AbbVie said the FDA made a separate, similar request related to the SNDA for RINVOC as a treatment for atopic dermatitis, which the company is preparing and will submit to the agency shortly. RINVOC and the interleukin-23 inhibitor Skyridzi are expected to largely fill the revenue hole that will open up in AbbVie's earnings starting in 2023, when Humira will face its first biosimilar competitors in the US. The company said in December that it expects sales of the two products to reach $15 billion combined in 2025, including $8 billion from Rinvoc, and the psoriatic arthritis and atopic dermatitis indications now under review at the FDA for the JAK inhibitor were described as major drivers of AbbVie's sales projections. However, barely more than a month after the company showcased its optimistic view of Rinvoc growth, Pfizer reported results of a post-marketing safety study showing that Zelljans appeared to be inferior to TNF inhibitors, including Humira, on major adverse cardiovascular events and malignancies. Pfizer has said that it continues to see Zelljans as a viable commercial product despite the safety issues associated with JAK inhibitors. To date, we have assumed the new Zelljans data would have a modest impact on Rinvoc, given the high-risk patient population that was included in oral surveillance, as well as differences in how physicians view the two drugs, given differences in their JAK selectivity, Mizuho Securities Analyst Vamil Divan wrote. We now wonder if the FDA may be looking at some of these recent Zelljans issues as a potential class effect, he added. It was a very successful week for Novartis in expanding access to its gene therapy Zolgensma, with England, Scotland and Italy agreeing reimbursement for the costly spinal muscular atrophy therapy, a result of the company's efforts to highlight the value of innovative one-time therapies. That's the view of Mike Fraser, who's General Manager of Europe, Middle East and Africa at the Swiss giant's Novartis Gene Therapies Unit who spoke to Scripps' Kevin Grogan about the challenges of approaching payers and asking them to cover the world's most expensive drug. You're bringing something completely unique to the marketplace, a one-time injection with a lifetime of benefits, which is something that, as an industry, we're not used to doing. We normally talk of products you take every day or every week or every month, Fraser said. How to evaluate the value of Zolgensma was something that was initially one of our biggest objectives, he added. So we pulled in people that could help us, the usual suspects obviously like doctors, patients and patient advocacy groups, but also health economists, people that could understand and help explain value over time. The clinical profile of Zilgensma has helped these conversations, he argued. Cost-effectiveness agencies in Europe have been persuaded of Zilgensma's value. And last week, the English and Scottish health technology appraisal bodies NICE and the Scottish Medicines Consortium gave the green light to the drug, which comes with a list price of 1.79 million euros, which is about $2.13 million, 
but is being offered at what NHS England said was a substantial confidential discount. When AstraZeneca decided to take the plunge nearly a year ago and work with Oxford University to develop a COVID-19 vaccine, CEO Pascal Soriel could not have imagined just how much of a public relations nightmare the not-for-profit venture would become. A bad judgment call by Oxford to conduct a pivotal trial with multiple arms and without sufficient older participants led to doubts about the vaccine's efficacy. AstraZeneca, meanwhile, has overpromised and underdelivered on its supply of doses to the EU. But, Andrew McConaughey writes, the company has also become the victim of the EU's own dithering and mixed signals, leading to the vaccine being seen as the poor relation to Pfizer-BioNTech and Moderna shots and shunned by many Europeans. Last week, the publicity was worsened, with many EU countries suspending use of the vaccine pending a European Medicines Agency investigation into potential rare adverse events, although these decisions look to be influenced more by politics than by science. There is still every chance that the AstraZeneca-Oxford vaccine's profile will be vindicated, with more and longer-term safety and efficacy data expected. Indeed, early real-world evidence from the UK suggests impressive benefits in preventing severe disease and hospitalisations on a par with Pfizer's vaccine. And as long as any side effects do not shift its overall benefit-risk profile, the vaccine is still set to play a central role in turning the tide against SARS-CoV-2. AstraZeneca and its partners are aiming to supply up to 3 billion doses worldwide this year in rich nations, but also crucially in lower and middle income countries as well. AstraZeneca's share price meanwhile has barely been dented. That's because it was always a pro bono project at least during the pandemic and major investors know the company has lots of potential for above average growth over the next few years from its new medicines and late stage pipeline. Finally, Mary Jo Laffler reports on a script roundtable in which executives from Athera, Cartesian, Cyclocell, Tonex and Vose advisors weighed in on the adaptations they made during the pandemic and what changes they'll stick with. While COVID-19 has presented many obstacles to doing business as usual, the biopharmaceutical industry managed to keep going, finding ways to accelerate discovery, development and production to provide therapeutic and prophylactic solutions to the disease and also finding ways to carry on with its regular work and R&D. This part one article looks at how clinical trials and operations were affected, how regulators helped, and what that might mean for clinical trial conduct and design in the future. Stay tuned for part two, which will cover business development, investment and strategic shifts for the industry. The script article provides details on what was a very wide-ranging discussion, and among the comments was this from Athera Pharma CEO, Lean Kawas. The interesting thing is technologies that allowed for remote monitoring were available, but weren't adopted, and what the pandemic did to our industry, it forced physicians, it forced sites, it forced monitors to start using these technologies. And once we started using them, they actually started improving really quickly and enabled sponsors, clinical research organisations and scientists to do things more efficiently. That's all for this week. Many thanks for listening. And links to the pieces mentioned are given in the article accompanying this podcast. And do please make sure to check out all the other extensive content from Scrip and The Pink Sheet. Bye for now.